0: Welcome to the Wilds Cast. In this episode, Rabbi Wilds speaks with renowned actor and comedian, Elon Gold. They talk about, among other things, Elon Gold's recent appearance on the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm and his passion for Judaism.
1: Welcome, Elon Gold.
2: That's it, that's the whole thing. That's all of it. This is why I could already say the Mark Wilds podcast is my favorite podcast. You know why? Tell me why. Because other podcasts do these like nineteen-minute monologues that they shouldn't be doing, you know. And then there's like a eight-minute intro of the guest. I By have the time minute intro for you. No, no, no. Don't. First of all, no one cares about my bio. Nobody cares about anything I've ever done. Everything I've ever done has been canceled. The only thing anyone cares about now is you could just say one credit from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Here he is. That's all anyone cares about now. And I'm sure we'll get to that as a question. Yes, yes. I have I have something prepared. So you're not going to let me read your whole bio. Why? Why? This is not. I realize that a podcast is just a phone call that people want to listen in on and that we want people to hear. So this is just you and I catching up. This is just you and I talking about things. And people are fascinated because they love us. And how could you not? By the way, you know, I'm a fan of yours. I've loved you forever. The work that you do to inspire, you know, Jews around the world, what you've done to, to set up uh, married couples I've been at the MJE Manhattan Jewish Experience. It's, a, it's an incredible place and you run it. And my theory is you not only inspire that, but you're a magnet. You, you attract people. It's mostly because of your good looks and that full head of blonde hair. I will stand by that theory. I don't care how inspirational you are. I get it. You're brilliant. You give these incredible Devar on on Instagram. I love them all. Part of it is that, is that, charm that magnetism that you have
1: you are one of our most handsome of all of our people well, i thank you for the compliment it's very kind and you know as i get older i keep thinking more and more about like the substance because as we you know hit a certain age and some of that charm physical charisma whatever you want to call it starts to wear off hopefully underneath it all there's there's something really there and that
2: is the key what is that that is the key to all uh marriage when you're looking for a a prospective spouse you need to so look deep beneath the outer layer of epiderma you need to go right to the soul because the, the looks will fade over time but the soul only enhances isn't it weird, though, we're talking about looks in this time when literally, I think it was last week's Parsha, was pointing out the beauty of, who was it? Was it Rachel or was it? Yeah, it, were- yeah, it said that she was very beautiful. and Which is so weird. The Torah, the opposite of anything superficial, right? Right. We're talking about we have like the Kardashians and then we have the Torah. These are two opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, it's the anti superficial, and yet here we are talking about. Hey, she's cute.
1: What's that? Can you explain that? I mean, it's. I, I, I mean, I thought I was supposed to ask the questions, but it's a really good question. I Thank you to talk about it. I, I think the Torah is a realistic path for life, and part of living in this world is is being attracted to the people we love and building a family, as long as that's not the only thing. And, right. and Jacob's love for Rachel was was not skin deep, but it maybe began a little like it does with all of us, with a little physical attraction, nothing wrong with that.
2: This is what I'm saying. I'm saying that the people that come to hear you and, and watch you speak, yes, yes, they're attracted to what you're saying, but it's also that shock of blonde hair, that handsome <laughs> face, those abs that you can almost see through the shirt. Is this too much? I mean, you are just you're like the, the you're you're the definition of I have this joke in my act where I say, you know, the, people are always shocked when I tell them I'm 50. Like right now, if you're watching this and you're looking and going, whoa, you're 50. And people always say, you're there's no, you're 50. No one ever has that reaction when I tell them I'm Jewish. <laughs> no one ever. like, Wait a minute. You're what? What? What's your secret exactly? Boy, you look great for a Jew. Like, imagine if people said that, how disgusting that would be. Like, people say you look good for your age. Imagine if they said you look good for your ethnicity. I, you know, I've seen a lot. I've seen many of your people, and you're doing way better than the others. You are far and away one of the best-looking Jews. That would be an awful thing. That's why it's a joke in my act. But I'm not saying you look good for a Jew. God forbid. I'm saying you just you look good. And that is part of it. And you have to accept that. And, and you will age gracefully. And, and again, your, your, your intellect is really what attracts people. It's your neshama, your soul. But boy, it doesn't hurt that you're, you're nice to look at.
1: <laughs> That's very kind. Okay, we're going to get into some questions. And uh, before I do that, Ilan, I want to thank you. You were exceptional at my book launch. And those of you that didn't get a chance thank you. to actually be there, uh, we actually had to li- limit the amount of people because it was, a, you know, middle of COVID. And I'm a big draw also. I, forget the pandemic.
2: The reason we had, to, you should really say we couldn't have everyone in because Elon's such a big draw and all of New York tried to come out. There were lines around the block.
1: But unfortunately, we could only allow a certain amount of people. You have to set it up. This is show. To that right. But you were just great. And besides talking about my hair, you did make mention of Rabbi Ezra's pecs, which he also appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was just uh, it was a great night and
2: love him, too. Yes, it was a great night. It was a special night. First of all, that book is incredible. And I think that book, the 40. Uh, what's the exact title? It's a-
1: Challenge, you got it.
2: The 40 Day Challenge, which I think applies all year. I know that was a book that was specifically the ramp up to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. But the truth is. The forty-day challenge is every forty days, isn't that right?
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I I didn't expect to be able to plug my book, but the first twenty out of the forty are just lessons for life that are not really, you know, particular to the high holidays. So thanks for that plug. It's true. And one of my other favorite books I have it up here
2: is um, the late great. You know what a tragic loss that was for the Jewish community and the community at large, uh, Rabbi Lord Sachs, who also does the life-changing ideas with where every week he takes the the Parsha and gives you a life-changing idea. I mean, it's, it's, I love books like that. Like there's nothing like a book that you go to, you know, some, some go to self-help books, which is just some self-help guru, quote unquote, really is just an idiot, probably a charlatan. This is self-help based in, the deepest truth based in the Torah, based in our heritage. So that's the kind of self help that I gravitate to. And you nailed it with your book, Rabbi Sachs, uh, always obviously is unbelievable. So, yeah, if, you, if you're
1: looking for self help, look no further. Well, I, you know, I do, I think this is really, Ilan, what one of the things that really distinguishes you from your colleagues in your field and you're just going up and up and up in your field. your enthusiasm we'll get into it in a minute. But you have a, a deep appreciation for your Judaism. And I, I love that you're you're a seeker. You grow. You you actually appreciate I know when you're listening to my little Torahs you're reading Rabbi Sachs, you know, I, I we'll get back to it, but I do want to um I, I want to talk to you about that a little because I think that's very special. Um, and you don't see that a lot with celebrities. And I know you hang out with a lot of celebrities. So I just wanted to say that about you. But let's um, let's talk a little about Kirby Enthusiasm. Um, maybe, by the way, maybe
2: that's why I'm not a celebrity, really, because I am still connected <laughs> to my roots and heritage. And I do love our customs and rituals. Whatever little celebrity I have, I'll say that the two almost have nothing to do with each other. You know, I, I live in a lot of worlds. Mm-hmm. And... And, you know, the main, for me, I realized this the other day, family and comedy is everything to me. That's it. It's family and comedy. And, and with family comes community and Judaism and all that. And with comedy comes community because I have a community of comedian friends and Judaism because so much of comedy is Jewish. It's unbelievable. I mean, we'll get into Curb, but Curb is, is basically Talmudic. You know, and I loved your article that you did for The Forward where you literally picked apart last episode as the Talmud would. Because, again, if you think about the Talmud, it is very much uh, more than anything, arguments and analogies. And if you look at any good comedian or any good sitcom or TV show, it's a lot of arguments and conflict, and a lot of analogies, yeah. and yeah. that's why they go hand in hand. But what I was saying about living in, in different worlds—I'm a Jew first, you know, a Jew, a father, and all that—and then a comedian. But th- I always loved the idea of never just being one thing. And it started when I did stand up. I was—I started at 16 years old, and I went to Boston University, and all throughout my college experience. I was touring other colleges. I was literally younger than most of the people in the audience of these colleges I would tour. I was like 19 and they were whatever, 20, 21. And I would tour these colleges up and down the East Coast, Maine, New Hampshire, everywhere. And I also went to school. So it was like Batman. You know, by day I was Bruce Wayne, the student. And at night I was the comedian Batman just going out and, you know, making the world laugh instead of saving the world. And I love being both of those things and not one, because when you fail as a student, like literally you fail in class, then later that night and you kill it at a show, at a comedy club and you're like, oh, who cares about BU and my student? I'm not a student, I'm a comedian. And then of course, conversely, when you have a terrible set, you go, whatever, I'm barely a, I'm a student. I'm a, I'm a student at BU, okay? I do this comedy thing on the side. I'm really just a student. So when you live in these different worlds, so now for me, I live in the world of Hollywood, right? But I'm not a Hollywood person. I happen to live near Hollywood and I work sometimes in Hollywood, but it's, but that's not my community. That's not my chevra. That's
1: not my group. That might save you, my friend. I, I You know, I... Not that the world is, I don't believe that that world is just all corrupt and all bad. It's not, right. It's very easy to lose yourself. And if you know who you are, as I know you do know who you are, then you will be able to have the best of both worlds. You'll be able to really, you know, contribute to the world at large, make lots of people laugh mm-hmm. and still retain a sense of you as a parent, as a, as a husband, as a Jew. And that is so difficult for celebrities to be able to do. You, there are not a lot of good examples of that. I think it also helps
2: that I'm very old. And I think if any sort of success or celebrity or, or recognition, fame came to me at an early age, I don't know. I can't sit here now 30 years later and say if I made it at 20, right. I would be this guy because I didn't have the spiritual, emotional growth. I don't know if I really just would have cared about family and things like Israel, which are everything to me, you know. So I I was so selfish. Like you're selfish in your 20s. You're, You're young. The world revolves around you. It starts as a baby when it literally is all about you. It's just feed me and change me and me, me. It's just all that. Then in your teens you're a teenager and you think oh my god this is the you know they called it the me generation that's because teenagers are all like me me selfies are the perfect example of let's take a picture of who me (laughs) i want a picture of me people used to take pictures of other people now we're just taking pictures of ourselves so it is such a and again it's all youth There's no 70-year-old out there or 80-year-old or 90-year-old taking selfies (laughs) because he doesn't care or she doesn't get to see themselves. But the youth is all like me, me, me. And I think it helped that not only did I have this foundation, I had great upbringing, my parents are amazing, and I always had uh, Judaism and being modern Orthodox observance, you know, an observant Jew to ground me. But I think also maybe it was the higher power that said, you're not ready yet. I don't think you'd be able to handle this. And I don't know if I'd fly off the handle or drugs or this or that, whatever it is, whatever the intoxicating, you know, uh, fame leads to so many uh, things that traps that you can fall into. Whatever that is, I know that right now I do have enough. uh, I'm grounded enough, enough of a foundation to say, okay, any good things that are happening to me now are really just blessings from God. Any talent that I have, as minimal as it is, it's a blessing from God. People say to me, I did that at your event. I did Jackie Mason, remember that? I love that. People say, how do you do that? You're amazing. No, I'm not amazing. God gave me a gift that I was born with. It's this little talent where I could mimic people. That is not amazing. It's nothing I did. It is not an accomplishment. It is not a feat. It's 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 not impressive. What it is is it's a magic trick. It's like, ooh, I'm going to do this now. It's like, how does he do it? Well, I just know how to do it because it's an inborn, innate gift that I got. I take no credit for it. Speaking of Jackie Mason, it makes me nauseous to think that a person like you would show up on an interview and not wear a tie. This is a thing. You're supposed to be a rabbi. I don't see a tie. I don't see a
1: beard. I barely see a kippah. There we go. That was excellent. And by the way, it is a gift. It really is a gift because it's 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 a gift it, it, that was exceptional. I'm mean, a huge Jackie yeah. fan. That was really well done. I mean, all you have to do is say "bison." Once you say the word "bison," and you have to be
2: very nasal. He was very diesel. And God, we lost one of the greats of all time. I've never seen a bison that was ever better or funnier. I just love doing it because it's like I can channel him, and then I feel like he's still somehow with us. Because so, you know, another loss. It's like another loss that is one of the greats. And by the way, speaking of the greats, you know what's funny? At at lunch, you get to have lunch sometimes with with LD when you're on set with Larry David. And at lunch, I sat across from him. And it was me and Carol and a couple other people. And I just said, "You know, Larry, you are the Gadol Hador." <laughs> and he was like, "What? What is what is that?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Gadol, great door right. generation. You are the great one." Of our generation, every generation has a great one. Now, normally, we're talking about a rabbi, you know, that that we all sort of, you know, look to for everything, for 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 laws, for advice, for commentary. He's the great one. He's the greatest mind. He's the most brilliant. And but in comedy, you know, maybe thirty years ago it was Mel Brooks. You know, uh, uh, I'm sure you know at some point it was like Woody Allen and Richard Pryor. Right now, and in the last, by the way, 20 years, the back-to-back seinfeld curb combo, there is no single human being that ever gave us the two greatest sitcoms in the history of television, the funniest shows in the history of television, and it's from this one mind. And I said, you're it. You're the god of the He goes, oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Just thank you, that was it. No, yeah, he just kind of, by the way, I'm, this is my Curb Your Enthusiasm hat. If Dude. you're watching this, they, they gave this out at the premiere, which I was lucky enough to be invited to. But no, he, he enjoyed the compliment. He doesn't, you know, he, most of us are so insecure that right. we don't take compliments well. We appreciate them, and by the way, we need them. You know, it's so interesting, because people will come over to me to this day now, and they'll say something like, oh, you make me laugh more than anyone. You're one of my favorite comedians. You, oh, we love you. But you know, they they always preface it with this. They qualify it. They say, I don't want to get your head too big. I don't want to boost your ego. And then I stop them and I go, if you're about to compliment me, please do because I need that. My life is just rejection and negativity, show business. Anyone in show business will tell you this. There is so much more rejection. What people see? Oh, he's on curb. He's doing great. No, 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 no. There was years of trying to get on curb and being rejected, and my manager going, "You can't even get in the room." And it, you know, everything is rejection, rejection, rejection. You don't have to qualify it by. I don't want to boost your ego. You're not. What you're doing is saving me from being miserable and depressed from all of the mm-hmm. daily minute to minute rejection that I and other people in the industry experience. There is so
1: much rejection. Don't qualify it. Just compliment. I'll take it. I need it. Thank you. And when, when you complimented him, he just he was like, thank you. He got it. He just, you know, he, oh, oh, that's nice. Oh, God, the Nice. And, and and what was his reaction? You you. Uh, I'm not sure if we have to make a shachianu. You know, we say that blessing when something happens for the first time. But I've never heard the word tachlis used on. Tachlis on <laughs> has never been right. Didn't the FCC say that was the first time that
2: tachlis was ever used on television? So w- the character called for being, and they give you nothing but a paragraph. Literally, it's like the paragraph says the head of Hulu. Uh, anything that you can throw out there that's Jewish terminology, you know, Hebrew, Yiddish, anything, just the more Jewish stuff, the better, because that's what this character is. He's a guy that just keeps using this Jewish stuff. And and because Larry had this observation years ago, in fact, one of the first times I met him, he shared with me, I don't love comedians, Jewish comedians who lean on the word Jew too much. And I right. said, I totally agree. I think it's a crutch. And I think that Jew as a punchline, it's not funny. It shouldn't be a punchline. I love talking about Jews and our culture and rituals and all that, but it's not just you overusing the word Jew. And it's and there's an observation there that's interesting. It's not just da-da-da-da-da Jew. Oh, isn't that funny? I said Jew. He hates that. I hate that. So he he. that's why the conversation when he left my office about the character was so... Interesting and sort of meta, in that he was like, "Did that guy ever do stand-up? Oh, because if he did, oh, he'd be awful. Oh, everything is juju, juju, juju." But the funny is that was the character, and he wanted, the- wanted that Hulu asked for that basically. Oh no, no, no! That was no, not Hulu. Curb, uh, Curb. Larry, Larry, and Jeff Schaefer, who are the who, who run the show. Jeff is the director and co-writes with Larry, and is the showrunner. They asked me to do a character that was, you know, proudly, I would never do anything negative and and give a negative portrayal, but wear your Judaism on your sleeve? Every reference should be Jewish and overdo it. And because then there's going to be a comment of, Oh my God, if he was a comedian, it would be like, ugh." so, so I did that. And then I thought about it and said, I I should say, I I want to open with like the, the word that everyone knows mitzvah. Like oh big mitzvah that you came here from Netflix, but then I want to go deep and do words that no one's done, and I want to do, and I did so many more references. You know, most are on the cutting room floor, but you know,
1: Tachlis was like, let's talk Tachlis, that's real talk. And talk- he, I mean, Tachlis could become like the next Chutzpah kind of. Well, the, the other interesting thing that's that's
2: happening is I literally have a hundred texts on my phone right now that say J to J. And, and and in later episodes, I say to him, Larry, J to J, like Jew to Jew, you know, and he goes, oh, J to J. And when that comes, out, I think I think it'll even be more so in the Jewish vernacular, which is so exciting. That's something that me and my character says now other Jews are saying to each other in like a tongue and cheek, hey, J to J. And I hope other other ethnic groups and, and races do that, too. You know, B to B. I, I, I love that. But the and then you invited him to a Shabbos dinner, which I thought was so nice. Yeah. So, oh, and by the way, for the record, Tachlis, they had never heard of. So the character, Jeff Garland, goes, what's that? And I have to explain it. In the, in the, but then when the camera stopped rolling, they both looked at me and went, seriously, what is Tachlis? I go, you've never heard of the phrase, let's talk Tachlis? Right. Never, never. And right. I had to explain to them what it was. And then and again, all this stuff is in my brain, knowing they want me to, you know, sort of Jew it up, as as we say, I I knew to prepare. I was I was locked and loaded, armed and ready to go with so much references and words. So I knew that as he was leaving the scene, I was going to say, come for Shabbos dinner. We're having Barry (laughs) Weishofer. And it was amazing. And when I said that, he actually lost it he actually started cracking up and gave one of his big hearty laughs. And when you make LD laugh, right. it's the greatest feeling in the world. And he laughed and it broke the scene. And he walks back in because he was walking out of my office as I'm throwing that line at him. And he walks back in the camera stop and, I, and he goes, how did you think of Barry Weiss? Yeah. And, and I was like, because I'm having her. For Shabbos dinner. Oh, this wow. Friday night. Yeah. And she's a friend and she always comes over. Oh. And he goes, How did you meet her? And I said, At it was a it was a fundraiser where I was the MC and Barry was the keynote. And he goes, Oh, let me guess. One of those, let's save Israel. We gotta save Israel. Oh, save Israel. And I was like, Yes, that's exactly what the dinner was. It was a let's save Israel dinner, a gala dinner, and we met and we connected and our mutual fans. So we became friends. So it's he, because he just loved the reference. You know, when you think about the guy who is just constantly talking about Jewish things and dropping Yiddishisms and Hebrew words, well, who would he reference? He would reference the Queen Esther of our time, the woman who wrote the book on anti Semitism, like right. the, the, the great, like one of the great Jews, like Barry Weiss is like fighting the great fight for all of us. So the fact that that was a reference and not an obscure one, because she's pretty well known, but certainly not a household name and an interesting reference to do. So he loved that and they kept that in. It was so cool.
1: So let's talk about that other, um, uh, first of all, you you were amazing on it and was very, you just felt like a part of the cast. So, you know, the forward called me literally yesterday.
2: By the way, before you get to that, speaking of compliments, I love that compliment more than anything. I, I was having dinner recently with a friend of mine, and and um her dad, and it was me and my wife and 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 her and her parents, and her dad is a very prominent doctor here in Beverly Hills. And he said to me, You know, you belong there. That's your crew. Like that's your hevra. Yeah, it and felt it was, yeah, yeah. That's it's, the biggest compliment you can get because. I do sort of feel that way, but then there's a part of me that goes, but do I belong? Like, they're all amazing. They're like comedic geniuses. You know, you talk about Larry and Jeff Garland and Susie and J.B. Smoove. These are like the greats. So it's like, do I belong there? So when someone says, no, you do,
1: it makes me feel so good. So thanks for that. Well, it was real. It came, it, it was, came from the heart. Um, so there was this other episode of Curb where Larry spills coffee on this KKK um uh the the white robe of some Klansmen. yes I'm paying for the dry cleaning and it was interesting you know they they called me just asked what my feeling was on that and you Mm -hmm. know what you mentioned before about like I mean it's ridiculous only Larry David can think this thing up but right but it does it got me and some other guy they interviewed for the article into a little discussion like Mm -hmm. almost what happens when you damage Someone's article of clothing or some other item that is being used for something evil, you know. It's
2: all over the Talmud, the ox of the fence. It's all over the pit, the this. It's it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, what's your feeling? You think you you think you? So you answered it perfectly. My feeling is what you said, and and the truth is, while you know the Talmud would tell you, you have an obligation to make you know right that wrong pay the dry cleaning, whatever the specific issue is, the Talmud would also then argue that, well, this is a coat of a person that has nothing but hatred. This is, you know, the the ultimate sin. The reason sinas chinam, baseless hatred, is why the second temple was destroyed. So I don't think that the Talmud would make anyone pay up for, you know, spilling coffee on the KKK coat. Any other coat, yes. So, So that counterbalances. And I think the way you answered it, and it's a it's a great article in the forward. It's so much fun. Again, I love Talmud and comedy. That's why people always cite my Christmas tree bit. You know, you can't write a bit like that without having studied Gemara, as I did, you know, in my teens. As to this day, I have Gemaras and love to open a Gemara and learn it. Um, that was basically, as I said, Masechet HaEitz. That was the tractate of Talmud about if Jews had Christmas trees, how many laws and rules and regulations we would have regarding the tree. And that's what Larry does brilliantly. It's like if you spill coat, is it a a coffee on a coat that belongs to KK? You know, it's brilliant.
1: Where where do you think he gets that from? I mean, he, he didn't go to yeshiva. He didn't study Talmud. And it's so interesting like Jackie Mason, mm-hmm. his was very much along some of those lines, but he has that background. I, I don't know Larry David's Jewish background, but where where do you think it came from? It's just part of his cultural milieu.
2: It's a hundred percent in his cultural DNA as and, and he identifies so proudly as a cultural Jew. He is not too into the religion as many Jews are. You know, he's not necessarily against it. He's certainly not a heretic, but it never spoke to him yet. I won't say never. I'm, I'm hoping. In fact, I want to bring. I'm going to go over there in a couple of weeks, and I want to bring a nice menorah over there and maybe light a candle because you never know. They say in every Jew is that pintle yid. It's that little, and you just have to light that spark, and it opens up. I think he loves Judaism. He, he loves his fellow Jew. I think to him, religious religion is it, it as, as he says in the next week's episode, it's probably one of my favorite lines in a decade. And uh, when Rob Morrow's character, they're on the golf course. And he says to Larry, you know, you, you can you pray for my father? I think, you know, he had a heart attack or something. He's in the hospital. It's like, ah, I'm not going to pray for him. Like, Why not? You're, you're praying for him. You think God now, you know, listen, and then here's the best line. He goes, well, don't you believe that prayers work? And Larry goes, no. And Rob Morrow asks, why? And he goes, because I'm bald. (laughs) Which is just the greatest line when you just picture young Larry as he's receding, just praying, God, please, let's just keep it like this. It's receding, keep it receding. Don't take it all, don't take it all. And then God didn't answer that prayer. Maybe that alone caused him to be not so into God and religion. Well, but you, know, you can't judge anyone. We all have our levels of observance. I've always said this about Judaism. Everyone has a level and a level of observance. And we all think the same way. If you're more observant than me, you're crazy. And if you're less observant than me, you're Catholic. And it's like both are not true. There are levels and it's it, it is a bit of a pick and choose kind of a, a thing. And I say, you know, it's it's a it's a pick and choose religion. I'll I'll take a custom from there, a ritual from there. I don't really care for this. We'll do this holiday, this fast day, or oh, we don't do that fast day. Everything is pick and choose. I keep Shabbos, I don't keep Shabbos. I turn the lights on, but I don't drive. I drive, but I don't turn the headlights on. It's like how many, there's so many
1: yeah. uh, choices I mean, you could make I mean, so, theologically, you know, in terms of what Judaism stands for. You know, that's that's certainly not the ideal, but I guess that is somewhat of the reality for a lot of people.
2: But theologically, what it stands for also is what Hillel said, is which is, you know, treat the other yeah. as you would yourself, and the rest is commentary. The rest can be interpreted. The rest, you know, we, we all fall short to be the perfect Jews. That's why we have Yom Kippur. That's why we atone. That's why we do tshuva, because there is no such thing as the perfect Jew. But if you are striving to, you know, to treat your fellow human well, I think you're definitely on your way. There are people, just to go to your point, who say, I don't do anything because I'm just a good person. And and, and that's enough. To which I say, That's a beautiful notion, and and it should be enough, but the fact is it isn't enough to just be a good person because if we were all just good people and didn't keep the rituals and customs of our heritage, we'd fall apart. The reason there are Jews today is because we kept those traditions alive. If we stop keeping the traditions alive, then the people are no longer alive. What do they say? The Torah doesn't carry...
1: Uh, uh, Judaism, how does it say? The, the Jews well, they, don't carry the Torah, the Torah carries the Jews. More than the Jew has observed the the, the Shabbat, the Shabbat is uh, more than the Jew has kept the Shabbos, the Shabbos is kept the Jew. But, Correct. But this, I would also tell that individual, and I have, we have many students at MGE, and by the way, you know, we're all about trying to, you know, it, I've never sold an all or nothing type of Judaism. It's not an all or nothing thing. People have to find what resonates with them. But you know the question then becomes what is good because it's easy to say helping that little old lady across the street is good we'd all agree on that but what happens when you get invited to a dear friend's wedding and god forbid somebody passes away and there's a funeral on the same day mm-hmm. life really is not simply about the good or the bad that's simple. Right. it's the conflict right. when values come crashing up against each other how do you navigate those issues you know, how do you know when it's OK to pull the plug on, God forbid, somebody who's, who's hooked up to a respirator and they're in terrible pain? You know, being good is not going to give you an answer to those questions. You need a system. Do
2: you do you replace the coffee stain KKK outfit or do you not? The perfect example right. of what's the good thing to do, what's the right thing to do? And, and it can be murky. And that's why it's fun to explore
1: and I, used to, I want to shift questions. You, uh, you and I actually both have four children, Bli Hara. Yes. My oldest is now a musician studying psychology, also in rabbinical school. Wow. Maybe, maybe he'll follow in his father's footsteps. Maybe he won't. If one of your kids told you they wanted to be a comedian, what would your reaction be?
2: Don't. Don't. Do you want to wait 30 years for a tiny modicum of success don't it's this the life of a comedian while it seems like a good one i always say comedians are always on vacation and never on vacation right like you don't get up at 6 a.m and go to work every day but you're working day and night comedians um don't do hard work but we do work hard that is true it's a constant work i work day and night on this um that being said there is so much pain and rejection the road is so long and arduous and it's such a difficult thing I wouldn't want to see my kids go through what I went through and the the time and again it's like this has been a 30 year journey yeah there've been moments of success look 20 years ago I was starring in an NBC sitcom and then
1: that went away after I don't know 5 months would you have listened to your I don't know maybe your parents told you not to enter
2: yeah my parents were very we call them show jews they love show business so my father was always even though they're both teachers and educators um in in the south bronx they my father especially had a love he used to with the tiny money you made as a teacher he'd go to these backers auditions and invest in broadway shows um you know even like 50 bucks, 100 bucks, and you got like a quarter of a quarter of a point, and then you got to be an investor in a Broadway show. He was always into shows. Best punchline of that story is he went to see uh, the Fiddler backer audition before it ever made it to Broadway, and they were looking for funding. And he said, this is the best show I've ever seen in my life but it's too Jewish and nobody is ever gonna like it or see it or watch it. I'm not investing in that. That one decision made us grow up in the Bronx with almost nothing. If he had just invested in Fiddler, which was such a lesson, what a teachable moment for me, don't ever be afraid to be too Jewish. And how ironic all these decades later, I'm the Jewiest guy on TV right now with this Hulu president character and I come back in, in more episodes. And I just continue, and 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 the proudest of Jew. Don't ever cower, do not hide, do not be afraid. And my father is also a very proud Jew. It wasn't about Jewish pride, it was about the feeling that it's so inside that Tebya, the thing, of the Shtetle, no one's gonna know it, get it, appreciate it. And now to this day, we see Stissel is a hit on Netflix. Oh my god. Who would think? Um, um um you know, Spouta, unorthodox. Right now, the show that I'm writing right now, I just finished writing a pilot with these two amazing, brilliant Israeli writers, comedy writers. It's it's so cool now to lean into the Judaism. And again, this is something that I've been doing for years. It's not a new thing. This is this is pre-Shtissel. I've always said, you know what? Lean into your Judaism. First of all, write what you know is the key to everything as a writer, you know. And boy, do I know Judaism. You know, it's so funny because I I really have two acts and one act is a secular act and it's a, you could see it. It was my Netflix special. It's now on Amazon prime. It's when I go to the comedy cellar, or the laugh factory, stand up New York, I do that act. But then I have this Jewish act that is literally, it's like when Lo puts out a Spanish album where you can almost not understand it. And certain references, talkless, whatever it is, Unless you live a, a, a Jewish life, and even more so, like an observant life, I have two completely different acts.
1: But what was the question again? It doesn't matter what the question was. But what what happens when you go to Israel? Um, I mean, you've done stand up in Israel. Is it different so when what- I go to
2: Israel? It's so fascinating. You know, I've always had a I have this love for Israel for myriad of reasons. The obvious ones: it's our homeland. It's where we all come from. But My mother was born in Israel, by the way, uh, when it was Palestine in 1936, And, and, you know, I love that she's literally living proof that there was a Jewish presence there before 48, and the false narrative that we just came in and suddenly conquered and colonized. You know, if anything, it's the opposite. We were conquered and colonized, now decolonized, and let's not get into Israel, but there's nothing we want more than peace. There's nothing... We wanted more than like a two-state solution, living side by side in peace. And then sadly, the leadership on the other side has proven nothing of no. They don't want a two-state solution. They want Hitler's final solution. And when Hamas gives that up, they'll have their state. And when when their leadership's ready to have peace, like we see with the Abraham Accords, they'll have it. But the point is, I've always had this affinity to Israel, and I've always loved it now as a comedian, I get to actually perform there. So you have no idea how special it is for me to stand on a stage performing for my people in our homeland. It's like next level, just the best. And the (laughs) weird thing is I'm only famous in Israel. Like I could walk down the streets of any country in the world and almost never get recognized. I walk down the streets of Jerusalem. Oh, Machane Yehuda. Forgot it's a mob scene. It's like selfies. Oh my God, Ilango. And it's so nice. It's almost like I, it's almost like it's Fantasy Island. Remember that show Fantasy Island? Yeah, Saturday nights, I remember. Yes. It was Love Boat and
1: Fantasy Island. Love Boat and Fantasy. Boy, we are old. Oh, they <laughs> eight o'clock and nine o'clock. But wait, when you I mean, you perform so much there, so when you're in Machane Yehuda, people see you; they recognize it's you. It's
2: not about where I perform. When I perform there, it, it uh, yeah, I sell out theaters and all. It's it's incredible. It's about there. My videos are really widely shared, and they go viral, and people just whatever. Obviously, a lot of my content is Jewish themed, and I talk about Israel. You know, I was the only comedian to ever perform at the UN, and Wow! Ambassador, that's right. Yeah, Ambassador Danny Danona invited me to, you know, sort of close out this pro-Israel anti-BDS conference where they took out the entire U.N. And that video like went viral and everyone in Israel saw it. So, you know, you make a few videos and the Christmas tree and this and that. Suddenly you're walking down the street and everyone's, you know, recognizing you from that. And that's why here.
1: Is it easier to make Israelis laugh?
2: No, no, no. First of all, Jews in general are the most difficult audience. It's like the exact audience of black audiences or my favorite audiences. Okay. You know, when I perform and it's a predominantly black audience, it is just, it's so fun. Everyone's just having a good time. Jews, first of all, the first few minutes of any show, they're not enjoying, they're assessing. They're <laughs> assessing. They're going, you know, uh, did he fly in for this? Like they're trying to figure things out. The, how much does he get? Is this, a, is this a paid gig? It's a fundraiser. Does he give back to they're assessing? They're assessing. Why did he wear that? He's really married. He doesn't wear a ring. Like they're just assessing, they're not enjoying. Then a few minutes later, they stop assessing and they start enjoying. But even that enjoyment is impaired because. It's almost like there's an embarrassment factor to laughing. If you laugh too loud in front of your fellow Jews, it's almost like, well, what's wrong with you? Just relax. You know, it, it, it's a weird thing you get. Listen, I've gotten Jewish audiences rolling and I've had amazing thousands of amazing shows. But you still can compare non-Jews to Jews. Non-Jews just look not. Let's be honest. They know how to party more than us. Look no further than how we celebrate each of our New Year's, okay? They're out partying, drinking, dancing. We're in shul, reflecting, repenting, okay. you know. you know, our, our New Year's is like everyone else's morning after New Year's. Oh my God, what have I done? I'm a terrible person, please forgive me. You can't compare the two. And it's the same with comedy audiences. Comedy audiences that are not Jewish, they, they just give it up and they party. And Jews are very reserved and very like, oh, okay,
1: this is good. Cool. And tell us a little, you know, we're getting closer to Hanukkah. Any, uh, any reflections on Hanukkah? What's your favorite thing? Are you a, a, a Latkist guy, sufganiyots?
2: My uh, My favorite thing now is a new bit that I've been doing, which is that I'm so glad. You know, when I, I, I remember during last uh, year's election when it was Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, and I was looking at these two guys going, and I'm thinking to myself, what is this, what is this race, for, for, for president or best Zadig? <laughs> because I, I, I and then I go and Bernie, by the way, Bernie. I don't care if you like him or you don't like him, he would be the worst Zadie, the worst grandfather, especially around Hanukkah time. Uh-huh. Imagine Bernie Sanders as your Zadie on Hanukkah. Time. The billionaires have stolen all of your Hanukkah guilt. I was going to give each and every one of you a twenty dollar bill, but the one percent has stolen ninety-nine percent of my money. Therefore, I am relegated to giving each of you a baggie of gold coins. I mean, could you imagine the kids are playing the dreidel game? They're playing the dreidel game, and it lands on Gimel, and one girl goes, I win! And Zadie Bernie comes up and ruins it. Though you do not, you will equally distribute the pot to your <laughs> brothers and sisters. There are no winners in the game of dreidel. But, but, but I picked Gimel, and, 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 and she picked Chin, and he picked Hay. Hay stands for we are all hey. Hay. We are all in this together. Hey, we're all in this together. It's just, it's just, yeah, when I think of Hanukkah, I look, I think of like, okay, this is one of our fun holidays. Cause you know, right. we have so many miserable holidays. Just miserable. I mean, we've got a three weeks of misery. We've got we've got all sorts of holidays that are very serious and dark and and reflective, and, and then we have like Purim. And like Hanukkah and simple. So we have a few times in the year where we're not only allowed to, but it's it, it would be a sin not to rejoice. So I look forward to those because, you know, I like to i like to I say the Jews, we tend to hover somewhere between miserable and could be
1: worse. Well, I, 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 I'm blanking on the comedian's name. He's incredibly well known had a late night show for many years, which, what's his name? The South African dude took over. Uh, you're talking about John Stewart. John Stewart once got up uh, on his show and he was comparing Pesach to like the hunt for Easter bunny eggs. And he had this Easter bunny like basket with these great like chocolate and it's like so attractive. And then he pulls out a Seder plate with the charoses and the maror. Mm-hmm. And he starts saying, he's like, where's our marketing team? How did this come about? You know, like, look what the Christians are doing. Look what we're doing. So I hear that. But I will say on a more serious note as an outreach rabbi, how I
2: don't By the way, know. That's a great bit. And Sebastian Maniscalco's bit on, on Passover Seder is also um, greatest bits ever. But um, what were you going to say as an outreach rabbi?
1: No, I'll get back to the. My son is a huge, one of my boys, a huge uh, Sebastian. I can't remember. Um, but he's like, yeah, he talks about like sitting there. His wife is Jewish, and they bring out like the books. Right. It's, they're passing out pamphlets. Like, where's, give me some bread first to <laughs> dip in olive oil. Yeah. Eat to put the bread in something, you know? So um, I don't know who decided this, but, um, you know, MG reaches out to 20s and 30s, primarily from outside of the Orthodox community where where going to synagogue is primarily high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Passover, Lil Hanukkah. But I don't know how the, the high holidays became the most popular Jewish day. You know, I, I mean, I'll tell you, sorry, it's a sad story, but one of, um, he happens to be a dentist and uh, so one of my friends was this patient and he calls me up and I says, listen, I gave my dentist your number. He's very upset. His son is going with somebody who isn't Jewish and he wants to talk to you. I said, fine. The dentist calls me on the phone. He says, Rabbi, my son is rebelling. I said, what do you mean your son is rebelling? He says, my son is deciding to, you know, date this girl. She's not Jewish, and it looks like they're going to get engaged, and he's rebelling. I said, you know, and and then he asked me to meet with him, and I said, I'm happy to meet with him. I said, just give me a little background about his life, you know, Jewishly. Rabbi, every Yom Kippur, I brought him to temple. I said, that's great. What else? Give me, you know, just a little, some context so I can... He says, Rabbi, every Yom kipper, we sat, we we fasted and we prayed all day in temple. I said, that's great. Anything else? He, he keeps repeating it. And I said, sir, with all due respect, I'm happy to meet with your son. But like, why do you think your son is rebelling? He's rebelling against the one experience he had, which was sitting, saying, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm sorry.
2: And not eating, our favorite thing to do.
1: And not eating. And then, and, and I said, why don't, you know, if we? I didn't want to, you know, hit a guy with bring him to shul on Simcha's Torah. Right. You know, and I'm not saying ignore Yom Kippur, God forbid. No, of
2: course. Balance. The balance, the balance. Yeah, let him get drunk on Purim with us. He'll have a good time. He'll, he'll be drawn to Judaism. No, but it's true. And it's not even happy, sad. It's, it's what you were describing. It sounded like that one day a year Judaism. That's not the Judaism that anyone would connect with and be drawn to. It is a a way of life. And I'm not saying you have to put on Tzvillin every day, which, by the way, I happen to do. I put on Tzvillin every day, even Shabbos. I'm kidding. (laughs) No, but I do it every, you know, six days a week. And, And that's real Judaism. It's shul every Shabbat. It's, you know, it's all the holidays, not one. And it's not, you know, I said it before. It's a pick and choose. We cherry pick this and that. But the truth is, the more you do and the more you can do, the more it will resonate with your soul, the more you will connect to it. The less you do,
1: obviously, the less you're gonna connect to it. By the way, you know who's also an amazing role model in this regard? You know, I'm a big fan of mine, Bialik. She's she's incredible. I'm doing
2: a a High Lifeline event with her. She is, yeah, she's one of our biggest, you know, supporters in the sense that, you know, we we. I was just talking about this with Daniel Gordis, you know, the the guy who wrote this amazing book on Israel, and I did an interview with him for a Stand With Us um, uh, Canada gala, and I was talking to him about how like the weirdest thing was the shift between celebrities, like even left leaning, you know, progressive celebrity, celebrities like Barbara Streisand in the '70s and '80s. We're not only on our side, she was doing specials on TV to benefit Israel. And now Hollywood completely left Israel. The left left Israel, which, again, makes no sense to me because Israel is everything that is represents, you know, progressive and liberal values and open, free, pluralistic, you know, democratic society, like I was saying this israel is liberal if you are anti-israel you are illiberal you are against progress and now all celebrities are against israel it's crazy and we just have a few we have mayim mayim is one of them we have like you can count them on one hand sadly and i don't even
1: understand that you you have entered those ranks and you have a tremendous role to play now thank you i'm trying seriously i obviously you have to do it in a smart way and you don't You know, you don't wear your Judaism on your sleeve, even if you make a lot of jokes about it. But just the more positive you stay and the more you get in with this. They're great, talented people just misguided, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. And that's what you know, it's so funny you say positive. I have this thing like called the three, the five P's. OK, so what really bothers me, um, because no one wants to see any group of people, you know, the Palestinians, no one oppressed, and downtrodden no one wants to see that in Israel of course is not oppressing them they're oppressed by their own regimes their own leaderships you take a look at anywhere else on the map North Koreans are oppressed by their own you know regimes Uh, you know Iran any place that had an Arab spring now what's the one difference the one difference is people love to blame the Jews for everything so with the Palestinians who are sadly tragically oppressed by their regimes like these other people's they get to blame the Jews. It's not the Jews. The Jews aren't in the business of oppressing anyone. Our whole message is Tikkun Olam and social justice. And the fact that this flipped, false narrative somehow made us the bad guys is insane to me. It's literally insane. So, you know, it's
1: just when you, 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 you a lot you need to take that message on the road. That was very beautifully said. I'm, the, I'm the, trying. Literally, everything is upside down. It, it's like Purim vanafohu you know. Yeah. And, yes. and it's the world needs to be reminded of. I mean, I don't know how you do this. It's so complicated today. But but it, it's I literally am teaching about Tikkun Olam and about just bettering the world and bigger nations. Right. And that's all Jews consistently continue to try to do. Generally speaking, there's always bad apples here and there. But right, unbelievable. How do we get? Let me let me ask you. I so saw. How do we get more? Of you know, I'm I'm speaking on a panel tomorrow on anti-Semitism, believe it or not, Ernst and Young. Over a thousand people signed up already. They asked me to be part of this, and it's just become too commonplace in the workplace in Hollywood for Israel to be seen in this way, and it reflects on Jews worldwide, like some sort of colonial power. You mentioned your mother, Israel right. who born in state Israel. But what do you think we can do to to just get that message out there more? There's just such ignorance. There's such ignorance. And I think we need to
2: educate. You know, for me, it's educating through jokes. You know, um, it's uh, it's educating. Like in my special, you know, I do a joke about how the differences between Israelis and Jews and I say, I know what you're thinking. Aren't Israelis Jewish? You know, I go, no, 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 no. That is a, of course, technically they are. And 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 I say this line: Yes, Israel is the three thousand year old homeland of our people. But there's a difference between Israelis and Jews. Israelis fight back. Israelis will return fire. Jews return merchandise. You know, and and that's just you play on a whatever the stereotype. But just to. I love that bit because I got to make the point and educate people. Did you know it's the 3000 year old, you know, uh, uh, homeland of our people? Did you know like like I have this other joke that I talk about when when I was performing in Israel, and I tweeted here I am on stage in Israel. And One of the comments was, don't you mean Palestine? And I was like, what I tweeted back is, don't you mean Judea? Because if you want to go back in time, let's let's keep going. Let's go back. And, you know, the joke is calling Israel Palestine. It's like calling Caitlyn Jenner Bruce. It's not the reality on the ground. It's not how we want to be identified anymore. And it's, it's not truth. The truth is we're Judea. And if you're going to go back, go back to Judea. So I do it with jokes like that. I do it with this new TV show I'm working on that's going to film in Israel. That's going to tell the truth of our history and heritage. You have to do it by inspiring, by, by speaking, by posting. Daniel Gordas is doing it through books. Right? Right. right. Yeah. We can't do the Instagram Bella Hadid version of it. That is just twisted. And you know, this the saddest thing to me that happened recently, as far as any anti-Jewish messaging that could be very damning and dangerous, is my old friend Dave Chappelle, who is the GOAT, who's literally the greatest either of all time, or at the very least of this generation. And he did the space Jews joke, which made us seem like we were somehow, we left the earth as aliens and then came back and conquered, which is completely not the story. The story is obviously we were expelled and murdered out of there by the Romans, by the, you know, we we didn't just leave Israel and we didn't just come back and conquer and colonize. That's not what happened. We agreed to actually a peaceful resolution and then war the war, you know, the, the the neighboring countries went to war and tried to conquer and annihilate us. And you know what what was left? What we what we got out of that is is the modern state of Israel, which was built from you know blood, sweat, and tears, and 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 not at the expense of another people. We want to build this land with other people, and it's so sad to me that Dave Chappelle, who's a truth teller. All of his jokes have just nothing but truth behind them. And the reason I don't get offended by jokes, nothing offends me. If it's a joke, you're allowed to say it. It's not offending. It's not offending me. It's not offensive. But if it's not true, then it's not a good joke. What offends me is that it's not a good joke because it's based in false narratives and anti-Semitic tropes and lies and just furthers that anti-Jewish message out there as if we are you know, these terrible colonizers and occupiers. And as I was saying, we are not in the business of oppressing people. We do not want to oppress anyone. All we want is to live in peace and side by side and all and all that other stuff. But it's sad that that's out there
1: and we have to counter that. So I think we start with our own people because, um, you know, oh, yeah. dealing with mostly 20s and 30s, not enough of our own Young men and women, what you just said like five minutes ago, very quickly, just I want to just shine a spotlight on it. The United Nations voted at the General Assembly in favor of a Jewish state. The next day, five Arab armies attacked. Correct. And we held out, and the United Nations then declared a ceasefire after about a month. But then, and by the way, when I talk about that, because you say it eloquently and tell it
2: historically. I speak the language of jokes and I say the the UN partition of 1947 recognized there were two people living there and said, okay, let's split it in half. And the Jews went, sure, because you know, we like anything half off. (laughs) And, And the Arabs went, no, and went to war with us. And it's like, is there any culpability for their Lack of acceptance of, of any peace agreement from Bill Clinton, the, the George Bush road roadmap, the, the, the you know, the, the any uh, Oslo Accords, any of that. You know, you ask Bill Clinton what was the biggest failure of his presidency. He'll, he won't say that thing. You know, forget that for a moment. He'll say um, we had the deal. We had peace in the Middle East. It was signed, sealed and delivered and in the last second. Arafat just went, nope, not doing it, because sadly, a guy like Arafat wants it all. He
1: doesn't want peace. He doesn't he's, want to share. He told, he told Arafat, he's quoted, you made me a failure. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's it. And
2: that has to be learned because people think Israel doesn't want peace. No, it's the opposite. The leadership on the other side doesn't want peace. All Israel wants is peace. And if you don't believe me, go look at the Abraham Accords, go look at the agreement they have with Egypt, with Jordan for years already. Now, well, here, here's the question of the day. I have four percent left of the battery. Do we do another few minutes and possibly get cut off? Do I plug in? Do are we going another ten minutes? Do we wrap it up? What do we do?
1: <laughs> it's up to you, my friend. No, it's up to you. Are we doing a few more minutes? I can plug in. I'd have to yeah, change. Um, it's almost oh, it's fifty-nine minutes. We could we could we could wind down a little. I think we're I think we're. I, although I was nobody say- wants when they see
2: it's over sixty minutes. They see one hour plus. They go, oh, I don't have time for this. And we we covered some good important stuff. We don't want people to be turned away by how long
1: it was. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. Let's let's bring it to a close. Um, I do. I did want to say though, while we have that little moment left, I had Michael Oren on this podcast. Love him. He's unbelievable. He said that the Abrahamic Accords. You know, if it if it didn't happen under Trump's administration, I I mean, it would be so more celebrated than it. Comes, Correct. Because it's an unbelievable opportunity that Israel has. And it demonstrates how, you know, there are peace loving nations within the Arab world. You just have to approach the right ones who actually, you know, want to make use sure. and it's an unbelievable thing. He said that there it's much more significant historically than the peace treaty that Israel has with Jordan, with Egypt, because those are cold pieces. They thankfully have held up but these are cultural exchanges i have yeah. friends who have been who are going now to you know dubai and i mean and and sort it of, and whatever in dubai who would have thought of that <laughs> <laughs> got to get that What are you doing, Pesach? You got a gig yet?
0: Yeah,
2: I'm I'm doing it in Mexico because what better place to recreate our exodus from Egypt than a spa in Cancun?
1: (laughs) Are you you there the whole time? You're going to be there the whole
2: time. I have four shows. There's three programs down there. I'm staying with one of them, performing at the other two, and then I have a private uh show there so it's i'm going to be working a lot you know only on Cholamoid, and then i just celebrate we have great seders uh and then fun on the beaches of mexico and playa and it's it's so nice
1: enjoy it should be beautiful thank you if they need a rabbi let me know of course (laughs) it's one of the perks you know it is a perk it is a perk perk.
2: so what are we doing with three percent left I don't want to cut cut off. We need, you know, we barely had an intro and a proper hello. We can at least have a proper goodbye.
1: Yeah, let's have a good goodbye. So, um, how do we? How do we? How do we? First of all, you could watch me
2: on Curb. Keep watching this season. Last week's episode was amazing. You know, and 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 they they just they just get better and better. I'm in a couple of more episodes over these this ten episode season. I couldn't be happier, more excited. It's a dream come true. Like I said at the beginning, you could read my bio. You could read it. All anyone cares about, myself included, is from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Wow. Like to be on that show with the the the... It's like the Harvard of comedy, you know, and you look at who's on this season and it's Albert Brooks and Tracy Ullman and Vince Vaughn and Woody Harrelson and Seth Rogen. It just goes on and on and on. And it's like all these great comedy people. And from the cast itself of Jeff Garland, Richard Lewis, Susie Essman, J.B. Smooth, these are all great comedy people. So, again, to just be included in that, I still feel like I'm dreaming, but uh, hopefully uh, I'll continue. Well, we
1: are very, very proud to have Thank you. Really, to have you there, <clears throat> represent, as they say, represent, and, and you should just go Mikhail Khail from strength to strength. I, well, I'm I,
2: proud to know you and all the amazing, incredible, important work that you do, and 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 all the all the guys and gals at MJE. It's uh, if you're not involved with that and you're in Manhattan, get involved. Even if you're out of Manhattan, get involved. You do amazing things. You have fun events, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you at the next one.
1: Thank you so much, Ilan, and thank you for your continued chizuk and support and inspiration and just just always you know cheering us on and we're gonna just keep watching you on curb love also, it um you uh, anything else i mean you you had your chosen and taken that was amazon that's on
2: amazon Prime. follow me on instagram i do this thing on every saturday night on on instagram called the bachor which I is i love that yeah nobody does it as well as you do because you've set up how many couples A 344, but we're not counting. That's really insane. 344 is insane. I think I'm up to like three or four, not 344. I have literally three or four matches and engagements and marriages. But every Saturday night, come on, you know, introduce yourself to the crowd. People DM each other. We have dates sometimes where two people are talking to each other. And, you know, just it, it's a fun thing. It's called The Buffer. It's a parody almost of The Bachelor, but it's actually doing some good. So we're working on it.
1: One percent. One percent. You did it. You could even like. i sure just plugged in. And call yeah. your loved
2: ones on it. A lot of stress looking at the low battery clock. This is very stressful. At some point, it's just going to go and just knock us out. So I will tell you again, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you.
1: Be Just good things to come.
2: Remain, you too.
1: Um, I really, really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. See you soon.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Wildscast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wiles. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.